Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, David Hook reads the scripture, and Carrie Gino continues our series on the Apostle Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, today looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. And now, here are David and Carrie. Harry asked me to read the uh, passage that we are speaking, that he's speaking on this morning, so I'll, I'll do that at this time, reading from the New uh, Living Translation. Passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and it's verses 1 to 25, and if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or you can just listen. I have a uh, I have not put the words up here, so you'll just have to listen if you don't have the words in front of you. I hope I keep having the words in front of me, then the the connection's a little bit flaky this morning, but that's, ah, we'll, we'll be all right. Okay. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp, must play the notes clearly, or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It is the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you, since you are so eager to have the special abilities that the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words. I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying. You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people 
who hear you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if you, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall on their knees and worship God declaring, God is truly here among you. Carrie will ask you to come at this time. Thanks for reading that, Dave. I'm uh, reminded of uh, Jesus who saw two brothers who were fishermen, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And he said to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. As any modern day fisherman knows, to go fishing, you need a good and faithful hook. And thankfully, we have two hooks with us today. Thank you, Vicki and David, for that, and also Becky and Dave. So far in our study of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we read that Paul had gotten word of several issues that the church was experiencing, including divisions over which leader they followed and the emphasizing of one of the spiritual gifts over the others to the detriment of the body of believers. In chapter 12, Paul had spoken to the church as the body of Christ. And though there were many different parts with different gifts, they were all part of one body and they needed one another. He urges his readers to celebrate the diversity of the gifts in the church, but to see them as having a common purpose, and a unifying purpose. In chapter 3, he lays out that the more excellent way is love. And this brings us to chapter 14, verses 1 to 25, in which Paul explains that gifts don't matter if they're not empowered by love. In his comparison of tongues and prophecy, Paul shows prophecy to be more superior and to be more beneficial to the church at every point. And if we are to catch Paul's original intention, we need to pick up on the positive teaching concerning what proclamation does. And if we look carefully at the situation at Paul's suggestions, we may find deep insights that will help us to think through ways in which the church today can make worship more meaningful for believers, and more understandable to those who are not yet Christians. While there is no clear understanding or agreement among scholars of the Bible as to what a supernaturally given language 
or tongue, as some versions call it, was, just from the reading of our text, some things are obvious. First, it seems to have been common in the Corinthian church. Whether it was limited to that church or not is not known. Even though Paul does not mention tongues in any of his other letters. Second, the gift, the gift seems to be supernaturally inspired. Third, it was a highly coveted gift. From Paul's response, we can conclude that there were people who suggested that it was actually superior to the other gifts, creating the temptation for spiritual pride. And fourth, the way the gift was being exercised was not only creating tensions in the congregation, but was causing confusion in the worship service. It was Paul's basic assumption, however, that when people exercised the gifts of the Spirit in a right way, they never created problems in the fellowship or confusion in the worship. Perhaps while both Paul and the congregation in which he was writing to knew exactly what the phenomenon was to which he was referring, we do not. While Paul recognizes tongues as a legitimate gift, he saw it as one that was very low on the scale compared to some others. The indication seems to be that while it might nurture private devotion, it was not as important as a gift of prophecy. In making the contrast between the two gifts, prophecy and tongues, Paul reminds his readers that the purpose of the purpose and the, and the preaching, the purpose of prophecy is for teaching and preaching. The purpose for telling forth the word of God, which is what Paul meant by prophecy, was to build up and to edify the church. The prophet in the early church received the gift of building up the knowledge of Christian truth and equipping people in living the Christian life. The prophet was to be an encourager who brought comfort to people. Paul makes a very strong case for understanding in the worship service. It is essential that the ordinary person be able to join in. In fact, Paul suggests that it was from the preaching of God's word that people were convicted of sin. They were brought under judgment and they came to worship God. This passage of scripture reminds us of the importance of finding a balance, a balanced thought and feeling in the service of worship. We should remember that the church Paul was writing to had no professional leadership as our churches have today. There was very little structure, so natural spontaneity gave it the characteristics of a happening. His counsel was intended to bring order and understanding. And while the church does not need the disorder that comes from not planning, it does need to recognize the importance of using both human intellect and emotion in our expressions of gratitude to God for his love. Isn't it a shame that we waste all our tears on the plots of soap operas? all our shouting for a hockey game, and all our enthusiasm for the latest toy or cell phone. 
And then we come into the presence of the creator and sustainer of life without expressing our deep feelings of awe, reverence, unworthiness, and of thankfulness. Prophecy, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through which God gives a message directed to the body of the believers, presented present in the meeting for the purpose of their building up, encouragement, and a relief, or as some versions read, for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So we have here both the audience of the prophecy and its purpose. The audience is the church, the body of believers present in the meeting. In the first century church, the active and spontaneous participation of the believers, each of them in the meeting, was normal. Not only was it allowed, but it was also expected. Each of you, says Paul, each of you was bringing to the meeting whatever they had, a psalm, a teaching, a tongue with interpretation, a revelation. The purpose, the edification of the body of believers. They were all participating with whatever God had given them. In verse 21, Paul quotes Isaiah to show that tongues is a sign of judgment for the unbelieving Israelites. Paul then gives a warning against the entire congregation using the gifts of tongues because an unbeliever may come in and make the conclusion that they are all out of their minds. Even at Pentecost, some people thought those speaking in tongues were drunk. Verse 24 to 25, if the gift of prophecy is happening, then the unsaved person who happens into the gathering may be convinced to accept Christ, so this gift of prophecy is more desirable. Prophecy speaks to people. Tongues speaks to God or only to the speaker. According to verse 3, the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Any word that does not achieve these objectives is to be rejected. The message must always be redemptive. There may be in it a warning against sin, but the final purpose must be for the well-being of the hearers. The end purpose would be for the strengthening of the hearers in their relationship with God. Prophecy should not carry a tone of condemnation or rejection. It should point the way of deliverance and salvation. It should fortify people in their walk with God. 2 Timothy 3.16 assures us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's a reliable standard for testing prophecy. The Bible reveals the true nature of God and gives us a sense of God's heart and and attitude towards humanity, and particularly towards his people. Is the prophecy consistent with God's heart? As revealed in the Bible, both content and spirit must pass the test. True prophecy is confirmed by the Holy Spirit within each believer who hears it. When the Holy Spirit is speaking a word through one believer, he confirms the word in the hearts of the other believers.
Prophecy doesn't always mean foretelling the future. It can simply be delivering a convicting message of truth. If, and this is simply an if, if tongues were used for delivering such messages, then what Paul is saying still would apply. They would need an interpreter or the message would not be understood. And if the message cannot be understood, then why deliver it? Paul is saying that the purpose of speaking in tongues is to be a sign, a proof of sorts to the unbeliever. Therefore, there is no reason for a group of believers to be speaking in tongues in this way to one another, for they already believe. Some think there is confusion with verse 22 to 25. Verse 22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. However, prophecy is for believers, not for unbelievers. Here, the straight reading of the text presents one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. In the straight reading of this text, Paul is plainly saying that tongues is a sign to unbelievers, and prophecy is a sign to those who believe. The problem comes when we see what Paul says in verse 23 to 25. First, that if unbelievers hear tongues in a meeting, they will not be blessed, but they will say you are out of your mind. Second, if believers hear prophecy and are convicted in their hearts, their reactions may be to worship God and to report that God is truly among you. So in these verses... Paul seems to indicate that tongues are not beneficial in ministering to unbelievers, while prophecy is beneficial to unbelievers. So, how can tongues be assigned to unbelievers if they don't understand? And prophecy be better suited for those who believe if unbelievers who are brought to believe will be brought to believe in the living God when they hear someone prophesying. There seems to be a contradiction between verse 22 and verses 23 to 25. Perhaps Paul is saying that tongues are indeed a sign to unbelievers, but not a positive sign. As we read in verse 21, they are a sign of judgment, as the unknown tongues of the Assyrians were in Isaiah's day. In this way, tongues indeed are a sign to unbelievers, but it's a sign that condemns them as they regard tongue speakers as being out of their mind. Others have thought that the real problem here is that an ancient scribe made an error when he copied the verse very early in the history of the Bible. A good principle of understanding the Bible is always to interpret what is hard to understand in light of what is easier to understand. Verses 23 to 25 seem easier to understand because it's easy to see how an unbeliever hearing Christians speaking in tongues might say that they are out of their mind. And it's also easy to see that prophecy could convict the heart of an unbeliever, causing them to repent and to worship God and to report that God is truly among you. So while we may not exactly understand what Paul means by tongues are a sign not to those who believe, 
but to unbelievers, we know he does not mean tongues minister or edify unbelievers. We can also understand that this is not the primary reason for the gift of tongues. They are not mainly intended by God to be a sign to unbelievers. Even assuming that this is what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, originally wrote, Paul has much more to say about the role of tongues in the believer's personal communication with God. Perhaps Paul is saying something like this. If you insist on speaking in tongues in your church meetings, instead of in your own personal devotional life, the only good that comes from that use of tongues is that it is a sign of judgment to unbelievers. Because they think you're crazy when they hear you speaking in tongues. It simply shows that they don't understand the things of God and are headed towards judgment. But how much better if you were to emphasize prophecy instead of tongues? Then everyone could be blessed, believer and unbeliever together. And thus the secrets of the heart come together, come to light. And this can be done through the gift of prophecy. Many come to a unique conviction from the Holy Spirit in this manner. Paul never said that prophecy was only effective on the believer. When he says, but if all prophesy, he's not saying that they're all prophesying to each other only, but they all possess the gift of prophecy. The contrast between the two scenarios is to show that a message of truth is effective and edifying for non-believers as well. Perhaps the best scenario is tongues to the non-believer, followed by convicting words of prophecy, and all the gifts of the Spirit working together for the benefit of all members of the church. Romans 12, 6-8 says, We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. First Peter chapter four, verses 10 to 11 says, each of us, should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. 1 Corinthians 12:21 and 15 to 27 says, The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There should be no division in the body but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The Corinthians had many faults, but one thing they were good at was asking questions. And we know that because of the way Paul responds to their many questions in his letter. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, wrote, now concerning virgins, 
Now concerning things sacrificed to idols. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Much of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians consists of his responses to their questions. And this is the case here. And to wrap it up, Paul reminds the Corinthians in verse 39 and 40, which David will be speaking on next week. Sorry to butt in, Dave. (laughs) He reminds the Corinthians of what he has already told them. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. The thing that strikes me the most about this letter to the Corinthians are the questions they asked about how Christians should act or behave. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus gives us the answer. Let your light shine before men and women. We are receivers, not producers. We are primarily designed to take in and reflect the love of God. Yes, we need his counsel, but even more, we need his comfort. We need his love and affirmation even more than we need his instructions. Because not every interaction with God is about teaching us a lesson. Sometimes he just wants to love us and remind us that we are safe with him. It's one thing to be informed. It's another thing to be loved. And our identity is not based on how much information we have from God. Our identity is based on how much we are loved by God. And once we realize how loved and how safe we really are, we begin to live like it. Paul's prayer was that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 to 19. God has already seen every sin that we'd ever commit, so we can't disappoint him. He's never caught off guard when we fail. When Adam and Eve failed, his reaction was to clothe them in their shame. And likewise, his heart is always towards rescue towards us. We live in a performance-based society and transactional love. If we get good grades, we get into a better-ranked university. If we do good work, we receive a promotion. If we perform well, we're affirmed by others. But when we fail, we reap the consequences, disapproval, and even rejection. But we're not on a performance treadmill with God. There's no point system. We already have a perfect score even before we get out of bed. There's nothing to prove. We're right and good because of our new birth, not our behavior. God is for us, all of us. So what would be different about our experience if we actually believed the truth about our new heart, our new self, and our new worth to Jesus. God's loving embrace of us is more than just a belief. 
It's divine inspiration for every move that we make. This is why he heart-wired, not hard-wired, heart-wired, within us a love for each other and a connectedness for each other. Genuine love for each for others and loving relationships are our agenda now and our destiny. And we're invited to feed these new passions and desires and find real purpose in reflecting God's divine love to others. First John tells us <clears throat> that the world we that the world will know that we are believers by our love. So if we're known by our love, what does that say about our design, our identity? Each one of us now is a lover by nature. And it helps to know our own heart. Imagine the effect when we also know the hearts of those around us. We begin to believe they're good and that they're worthy of God's love, the love that dwells in us. We start to trust them. And when we can't, we release them to God. Either way, <coughs> excuse me. Either way, we realize that we both share a common enemy, sin. We are not our own worst enemy, and neither are they. Sin is our common opponent. And understanding this inspires deeper relationships as we can fully be ourselves and give others the same freedom. Because we hold no agenda to manipulate or change, instead we trust the process, a growth that comes from God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 19. People pay attention when they're loved. It catches them by surprise. Ministry is love. Ministry is nothing more than bearing fruit. And we're all in ministry. And we're all qualified as ministers of the new covenant. We have to make absolute, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to make absolutely certain that love is what we're ministering. And we do this by accepting God's invitation to live by the heart. God invites us to live from the heart, but only if we have a new heart given by him. When we hear and believe the message that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the dead to give us new life and we open the door of our life to him, Jesus promises to come in and change us from the inside out. And the Apostle Paul confirms this when he writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, 
they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And finally, the Apostle John writes, We love because he first loved us. Amen. Father, we are grateful again for hearing this uh, message this morning. Grateful that you love us and that you've shared your love with us through your son. And we ask that you would help us as we pass that love to others through the messages and through the ministries that you've given us and whatever we do. May it be for your honor and glory and to raise and up and encourage, comfort and console and build up your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.